today on Small Shop Fundraising, we're talking about the last 21 days of 2020 and how nonprofits have plenty of time to reach their fundraising goals for the end of the year. We're going to talk about why it's so important to engage women donors and how they can help you reach your goals by the end of the year. All this coming up on Small Shop Fundraising. Hello and welcome to Small Shop Fundraising, a podcast dedicated to small to medium-sized nonprofits and the topics and issues facing them today. I'm your host, Liz Hack, and we've got a great topic for today. Our title of this episode is How to Engage Female Donors Right Now, and I don't think there's another person for us to talk to then Jacqueline Ackerman. Hi everyone, Jackie Ackerman here with the Women's Philanthropy Institute and very grateful uh, to be on this podcast and share with you all. I'm the Associate Director of Research at the Women's Philanthropy Institute. I think the coolest part is that it's with the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy and we're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute but if you've not heard about it then after right after this podcast Google Indiana University Lilly School of uh, Philanthropy and learn a little bit more about about them as a resource to the nonprofit industry across the country, really. So um, thanks again, Jackie, for being here. I'm really I'm really excited about this topic. I think it's it's timely. I think it's important. Mm -hmm. It's unknown. I think there's a lot that people don't know about this specific portion of donors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to dive into some of that. But before we do that, I want to know a little bit more about you. If you could, you know, talk to us about your leadership journey and what got you interested in women's giving? Sure. Thank you for for asking. Um, And I do, I will just plug the Lilly Family School to start out. Um, You can find them, I believe, at Philanthropy. Dot IUPUI dot edu. Uh, it, it has many parts to it. So it's a school, it has academic programs. We have talked about the fundraising school, which is continuing education and professional development. Um, and then you've got the institutes, which, which are kind of my area. You've got the Lake Institute, that's more about religion and giving. You've got the Mays Institute, which is about diversity and giving. And then you have us at the Women's Philanthropy Institute, which, as you can tell from the name, is uh, looking at gender and giving. Um, So a little bit about me. You asked about my leadership journey. I would say that my journey, at least in philanthropy, started in childhood. So I'm not going to do the big, long life story. But I actually, I grew up um, outside the U.S. I grew up in Haiti. Um, my parents were, were missionaries. My dad was a medical missionary. Like it, it's just been ingrained in me from childhood that when you grow up, you do something that's going to help other people. You don't go into something to make a lot of money. You go into something that's going to help people. I also remember that dad really loved doing the work. He loved helping sick people get well. Um, and he hated fundraising, which is kind of funny because like without fundraising, we wouldn't have been able to be down there doing uh, doing that work. He called it begging for money. Mm-hmm. It was like the worst thing that he was forced to do to like make his dreams come true. Um, and it's been really interesting and great kind of being in that field now 
um, where, you know, the fundraising school, it, it kind of preaches the joy of giving and yeah. fundraising isn't begging for money. Fundraising is helping connect donors to things that make them happy, that, that they really care about and that they want to grow and improve. And it's, it's just kind of nice kind of getting to the other side of, of that topic and, and seeing it in a different way. So that's kind of what prepped me, I guess, for a life yeah. in, in philanthropy and nonprofits. I did uh, my graduate school at Indiana University in Bloomington, what is now the Paul O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs. I focus on international development, which oh. is not really what I'm doing now, um, but just had a, a very general kind of education in management and nonprofit management. Um, and immediately, thanks to one of my professors there, I'm sure the name Leslie Lenkowski will, will be familiar to some of your listeners. He, he connected me to the research department at the School of Philanthropy and the, the research department at, at what was then the Center on Philanthropy. Um, I, I joined in 2012 and I started in project management, managing these research projects. And the first project that I worked on was funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. The foundation had asked the Women's Philanthropy Institute if they could put together, you know, a scope of work and maybe think about doing some research uh, that they would fund. And so WPI kind of reached out and said, hey, Jackie, you've worked with the Gates Foundation before. Will you help us write this proposal? Um, and they roped me in uh, and I never left WPI um, officially. And I've been at the Women's Philanthropy Institute officially, I think, since like 2015. Um, it's been a really great journey, I, um, but really just being able to do every step of the process is, is kind of what, what my job is. That doesn't sound like a small feat over there, Jackie, and it sounds like <laughs> you're enjoying it, and mm -hmm. there's plenty of work to do for the Women's Philanthropy Institute, or WPI. So what led to the need maybe for the Women's Philanthropy Institute? Why was this a focus for the School of Philanthropy? Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that as, as I was preparing for this conversation. What we often say at, at the Women's Philanthropy Institute is we study gender and philanthropy, um, but we are really here to examine and encourage women's philanthropy. So it's not that we don't want men to give, but from our perspective, fundraising and philanthropy has been geared toward men donors and, and not just men, but, but kind of a very, uh, a straight white rich man. And, and so the idea that other people are generous and other people may uh, need to hear different messaging about giving. They might be motivated differently. They might want to give to different types of organizations and causes. They might want to hear different things from the nonprofits that they support. That's really important. So first we did, did the research on it, right? You know, it's, it's one thing to say like, well, maybe women give differently than men. And so we've done that kind of hard, rigorous research to really say, we know it, we know women give differently and here's how. And so from our perspective, if you're a fundraiser and you are fundraising in the traditional ways, uh, you're really not getting at all of the different people who could and would support your cause. Okay, Jackie, I have a question. <laughs> yes. So now I need examples of <laughs> what would be a fundraising strategy that was more geared towards a rich white man, and then an example of how to modify or 
a something a completely different strategy for a person other than that mm-hmm. description? I have a couple uh, okay, of, of my favorite. Um, one that we talk about a lot is, uh, you know, if you are talking to a very high net worth donor, you're asking for a really big gift. Um, and, and I'm in higher ed, right? So so we've got a lot of buildings to name. And yeah. something that we'll often do is that, you know, can we sure. put your name on this building? And we have been fascinated. Women just don't react to that. It's almost a negative thing um, because women are generally, um, and I do have to kind of talk in stereotypes, but our research shows that women generally are not really interested in the name recognition, in the benefits that you might offer to a donor. Women are more interested in what's the money going to. If it's going to scholarships for students, Tell me about those students. What are they doing with their lives? If it's going to, you know, a lab, what results have come out of that lab? What kind of medicines or cures? Um, and, and men are, on the other hand, much more likely to be like, oh, where is my name? That's awesome. Um, and, okay. and so it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is important to know that if you are talking to a high net worth woman, and you bring certain things up as as like the benefits of their giving or the results of their giving, you might be turning them off more than selling them on the idea of donating to your nonprofit. The other example that I think of a lot, it's actually a study that some other researchers, I believe out of Harvard did. It's not our own study, but it was really a genius way of um, getting at, at these gender differences. They essentially partnered with a nonprofit to send out a solicitation letter. And they randomized, they sent out two different versions of the solicitation and saw kind of what resulted, who, who tended to give in response to that letter and how much did they give. Um, and one of the letters really emphasized, you know, we would love for you to give because this is really helpful to the poor in this area. This, this helps people, this is what it's gonna do to enrich their lives, et cetera. And the other letter said, you should give to us because we are going to do this, this, and this uh, to, to help people in this area. And because it's helping people in this area, it's going to benefit property values in this area. It's going to lift up this community. It's going to benefit you in the long run because it's benefiting these other people. Can you guess which one resonated more with women and which one resonated more with men? I have an idea. <laughs> Exactly. It was very stark. And and our research has kind of echoed that that larger finding, which is that men give. And when they give, they tend to be more motivated by self-interest. And when women give, they tend to be more motivated by the other person, empathy, altruism. What is the money going for? Who's it helping? I hate saying self-interest in that way because people think like, oh, men are bad and women are good. Uh, when it comes to giving. And that's not the kind of messaging that we want to put out there. What what it really is, uh, is self-interest kind of tied in with the community. Um, and so you can see how talking to men or, and, and women about giving to your organization, how those messages, you might want to change them up slightly when you're having those conversations, when you're sending out those solicitations. I have a lot of things I want to say, but I want to move on to this this next more general question before we get a little more granular. You were talking about your website earlier, philanthropy.iupui.edu, and then you can search for the institutes. There's a, like you were saying, there's a ton of information 
on the Lilly School of Philanthropy's website, specifically on the Women's Philanthropy Institute's page, about the research and there's infographics and there's a complete research library and there's a, mm-hmm. there's a newest report that I'm going to ask you about. There's just so much to take in. The very first thing that I noticed is that this pretty impactful statement said, to tackle challenges large and small, our world needs, to, needs more strategic philanthropy. Women can lead this charge, harnessing their growing wealth and influence to create a more just, equitable, and healthy society. That is a really big statement, in my opinion. And so I want to know, I know you've done the rigorous data, Mm -hmm. but what what is it that you all have found to back up such a big statement? Sure. Um, well, I will, and, and I may be packing a lot of, of research in, into a short amount of time. So just uh, all of the statements that I have are, are backed up with some of the research in, sure. in that complete research library. And I'm happy to, to dig through that um, and, and send those out uh, to you and your listeners. But essentially, we know women are more likely to give and when you hold other factors equal, like if you hold education, income, wealth, those sort of factors equal, women do give higher amounts. So a woman and a man making the same amount but have the same amount of wealth, women are generally going to be giving more than men at that same level. Women also tend to spread their giving across more organizations than men, uh, which means that even though they're giving more, they're often not recognized in that kind of upper level of donors by a lot of organizations. Um, And and what's more is that when women and men get into households together, so when they're in kind of that heterosexual marriage or partnership, they appear to influence men um, Mm -hmm. into giving. And so the single men are the least likely group to give, single women are more likely, and then married couples, it's kind of that combination of that, the, the women's desire to give and motivation to give and and prioritization of of that charitable giving and the combination of, you know, they have more resources between the two of them in the household to actually do the giving. Um, So those married couples give more than than singles. So all that to say that women are are, are leading in giving and then women are gradually, I don't even know if it's gradually, but they are becoming more prominent and more important in so many areas um, of, of our society. So whether that's um, being elected to political office, um, being promoted in companies, you know, we're, we're still not kind of uh, equal in, in a lot of these fields, but, but women's presence is certainly growing and women's influence is growing. Um, and to say that we look at the big picture, politics, uh, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, et cetera. But we also look at the micro level and our research has shown that over time, women are are leading those conversations within their own households. So they're not yeah. just becoming more prominent kind of in the workplace or as part of the labor force or anything like that. It's It's those individual households where maybe 40 years ago, the woman had to ask her husband uh, to open her own bank account or to have a credit card in her name. And, and now she is leading those conversations about we should be giving here and here's how much I want to give and let's do this together. Yeah. Um, so it, it's that macro and micro level where we find women are leading. Well, one more macro question as it relates to influence in our country, uh, women's influence more specifically Do you feel like, and this could be a loaded question, so (laughs) 
Happy to dodge it if I need to. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel, uh, based on your research, do you feel that having a female vice president is going to, at some level or some in some way, impact the way women um, are influencing their communities and thereby influencing the nonprofits and then even more specifically fundraising and giving? It, it's hard to say because there's such a... If you don't have your crystal a, ball today, Jackie? <laughs> I do not. And, oh. and, and I would say besides that, there's so much that influences women's philanthropy that a female vice president might be a little influence on it, but they're like 2020, there are just so many influences. We know that COVID has influenced women's philanthropy. We know that the, the she session that we've been hearing more about lately um, with, with this economic decline in, in 2020 um, is going to influence women's philanthropy. We know that any sort of tax code changes are going to influence philanthropy, especially by men, but also, you know, also by all households. There's a lot that influences women's philanthropy. Now let's, let's look a little bit more micro. Uh, we've kind of set a nice stage for why it's important to focus on women and why it's important to be specific to what a woman donor might find important as opposed to uh, male donors. But let's talk about right now. You know, as you know, small to medium-sized nonprofits are what we typically focus on, and it's coming towards the end of the year where it is the first full week of December. We are coming to the end of the year. Data shows that this is the best time for giving. This is where the percentages are higher and people are doubling their gifts or giving for the first time. Or, But if I were uh, an executive director or a development leader in a small to medium-sized nonprofit, what tips would you suggest to me as, a, as I'm trying to reach my end-of-year goals? Absolutely. I think, you know, we, we do try and make our research actionable and not just for the largest nonprofits that have whole teams of fundraisers, but for that, like, one or three person shop who's really trying to do more with less. Um, so just a few suggestions that are what I hope would be light lifts as we go into the end of the year, knowing that we only have a few more weeks left of 2020. I would say, first of all, if you don't have social media accounts, you really need to. I am always surprised at the organizations who don't have a social media presence because that is just so important these days. Um, you know, people are, are not getting or not paying attention to mailed solicitations quite as much, and people prefer to give online. Online giving is growing more than any other uh, kind of giving. And so if you don't have this online presence, um, it's going to be really hard for you to expand your giving. And it's free. You know, you can set up Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn accounts for your organizations for free. Most organizations have a presence. They have the capacity to respond to people who might have inquiries. They have the capacity to post a couple times a week. Um, but it's not like, a, you know, they're hiring a whole new person to do this work, at least not at, at these small shops. Um, so I would say set up those accounts um, and the very basic information, what does your organization do? Where's the website? How can people donate? And then as you have time connecting to organizations like yours, 
um, or maybe umbrella organizations, um, advocacy organizations for the sector like AFP, uh, local organizations that, that advocate for nonprofits, et cetera, um, and see what kind of messaging they're doing. See how you can connect with them, get them to share your stuff, share their stuff, et cetera. Should be a pretty light lift, but again, I think most um, younger donors are, are searching for nonprofits on social media sites. And if there's no social media presence, it's a little bit of a red flag. So you want to at least be um, able to be found online, even if you're not right. putting a lot of effort into it. The second thing I would say is, uh, again, email people. It's it's free. I know it takes time and effort, but you're not having to pay for stamps or self-addressed envelopes or anything like that. Um, and then, you know, kind of relating to what I was talking about before, can switch up your messaging. Are you providing a lot of data in your end of year solicitations? What about a story? What about a story of the impact your organization has had so that uh, your women donors in particular can kind of hear things in, in the language that speaks best to them? And then the, the last thing I would say is um, you don't have to do all the work of fundraising for your organization. Find your champions. Maybe they're your board members. Maybe they're your major donors. Um, but what we have found in our research is that women like to give collectively and women like to talk about giving. Um, and, and so if you're asking me to donate to you, maybe I'll do that if I have the budget for it. But if you're asking me to email 10 of my friends about you or share this on my Facebook and ask my friends to donate, I will definitely do that. Um, and I know that I might be more philanthropically minded because of my job, but I have a lot of friends who really that resonates with. I'm giving to their fundraisers, they're giving to mine, and it's a way that we connect to each other, especially around the holidays. Um, and I'll tell you, I just sent a note because my mom has been bugging me for my Christmas list for weeks now. <laughs> um, so I just finally sent her a few things. Um, but what I tell her every year is here are my top three organizations that I care about where I'm on the board or I really care about this mission and it would mean so much to me. Please give to this organization. It's actually serving people who are in need. And so that's a thing that, that small shops could take advantage of. If you even have like five people like me who are connected to your organization, um, who can give a small amount, but who can kind of rally their community to give to you. That's a thing that, that can really pay off big for you in, in the short and the long term. Uh, yes, absolutely. Women, you know, as a, as a, a woman who has a lot of women friends, yes, mm -hmm. we, we like to, we like to give as, uh, a, I guess a collective and to kind of put some of the research and some of the, the examples and data points that you've given into into practice, I can think of professional ways of with clients, with consulting clients that I have, and personal ways. I have a girlfriend who every year does a uh, Facebook fundraiser for Hospice, mm -hmm. uh, based mm -hmm. on a, a personal story of her own, and every year she hits her five thousand dollar goal in three days. That's awesome. That's and the nonprofit knows her well, and she knows them well. And there's a nice, there's a great relationship there. My, um, mm -hmm. my professional example is at this very small uh, nonprofit who is doing their first end of the year appeal. We'll call it, it that's, it's a loose, that's a loose term for what they're trying to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, you know, they are asking every board member to email 
five or 10 friends to help them meet a goal of, I think like $10,000 by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And they have a match in place from one of the board members' companies. They got started the, the week after Thanksgiving. And I checked with them earlier this week and they are two thirds of the way there. Oh, so, wow. so it's not too late is what I think we're trying to say. Absolutely. absolutely. It is not too late. You, you can, if you can engage and provide that spark of emotion, you know, uh, do you know who Lynn Wester is, Jackie? She, sure. she's a fabulous fundraiser. She said fundraising is 90% emotion and 10% the science behind it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if you can spark a feeling, whatever that mm-hmm. is, and pass that on to your potential donors with a little bit of science, like what Jackie's able to provide us today, you know, you know, don't tell a female donor that you're going to put her name on the side of your truck or, you know, <laughs> but instead tell her how, you know, little Claire or little Jenny mm-hmm. and her family are going to be impacted because of, because of your generous contribution, whatever that looks like. Does that kind of sum up what we were just talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I think a couple things came to mind. I'll, I'll be brief. First of all, we know from our research and, and from research, not just at the Institute, but at, at the Lilly School um, broadly, that the end of the year is by far when, yeah. when the most gifts come in. Um, and so even if you have just kind of been phoning it in all year, if you really focus during the last three weeks of the year, you can do things, uh, you know, and, you and, done, and yeah. we would like to think that acts policy doesn't have as big an influence as, as it does and, and that everyone is giving um, kind of out of their hearts and, and, and desires to make the world a better place. And that's certainly part of it. But you cannot ignore the timing. Most, you know, the the largest portion of these gifts are are given in December. um, And and there are probably several reasons behind it. But, you know, just take those numbers and and do your fundraising with that knowledge that that people are out there with generous hearts and looking to give now. Uh, And and so how can you kind of scoop up (laughs) as many of those people and and tell them about your cause um, as possible? Um, and then just what I would say is, is our research says certain things about women and men, but I think the more research we do about how women give, the more the big takeaway isn't never offer to put a woman's name on the side of a building, for example. It's not necessarily that, it's learn about your donors. Right. Every donor is going to be different, and we can say some general things about women donors and men donors, but what we've learned is don't make assumptions. If you're talking to a donor, and, and we don't have time necessarily in our jobs to talk to every individual donor, but if you're having a conversation with a donor, especially a high net worth one, ask more questions than, yeah. than, you, you know, than not, right? Like learn about what they want because they will tell you before you even have to ask if, if they're interested in their name in an annual report or their name on the side of a building, or if they just want to maybe meet some of the people who are touched by the the program that they're funding. So they'll, they'll tell you that. And, you know, when you've met one donor, you've met one donor. So, so it's, it's important to meet donors where they are and learn about what, what that one donor wants and not make assumptions about what they're looking for just from certain demographics. I would gather that we also shouldn't assume 
that women only give to family or women-based causes? Absolutely. Um, Our research shows that women are more likely than men to give to almost every cause or subsector. If you're running a nonprofit, uh, women are more likely to give to you than men, unless uh, I think the, the one that is more likely for men to give to are like sports. So, so unless you're running like a youth soccer league, you should be paying attention to your women donors. Don't just assume that because you're doing an environmental project and not a project that works with kids or, or women mm-hmm. um, that, that you're not going to um, attract women donors to your cause. Such great information. I can't stop looking at some of these visuals and infographics that you guys have on your website. I'm going to provide a link to the my favorite ones um, in the show notes because we are running out of time. I did want you to talk really quickly about your newest research that just came out. Yes, it, it just came out. Um, and, and we are so excited uh, about this. It's called the Women and Girls Index. Um, We put this out for the first time in 2019, and we're making it an annual series, but it is the only only index of organizations that give to women's and girls' causes, Um, you know, because if you were to say, okay, what organizations give to the environment or human services, there's an IRS code for that, Uh, and and you can find that out. They've all been categorized um, by the NTEE. Um, but if you say, okay, how many organizations are giving to or, or are serving women and girls? How much money is going to women's and girls' causes? Um, until a year ago, we really could not answer that question. And so this year, we're very excited. Last year, we could only put out one year worth of data. It was just kind of a snapshot in time. Um, but this year, we're able to look at a five-year trend in giving to women and girls. And we find some some really cool things and and some... Uh, kind of things that we can work on as a, as a field. So we know that women's and girls' causes are receiving about 1.6% of charitable dollars. And that number is consistent. That's what we found last year. And then when we got a five-year span of data uh, analyzed, that's, that's what we found really consistently. And so it's not a lot. And if you care about women's and girls' causes, um, we, we certainly have some work to do. How does that stack up against other uh, subsects of of giving? Yeah, sectors? it is it is smaller than I believe every subsector. I see. Um, and so, so we're not. Uh, it, it's certainly part. If you give to a, a women or girls focused organization, it's still within one of those other subsectors: well, higher yeah. ed, okay. religion, environment, etc. But when we kind of pull those out and compare them to the others, mm-hmm. um, that one point six percent is smaller than any other subsector um, that like Giving USA, for example, would look at. Right. I'm assuming that it's, that index is downloadable on your website and people can take a look at it? Absolutely. I can I can send you that link directly. But um, yes, we have we have a report. So if you're not interested in a spreadsheet of data, um, <laughs> you can download the report and take a look at that where we, we highlight the findings. We try and um, digest them. We've added some case study interviews to really bring the findings to life. 
Um, but there is a button that says access the index data. And so if you are an organization that serves women and girls and you want to check and make sure you're on there, or if it's something that you would like to support and you want to look at all the organizations and identify a few that are of interest, that's definitely, that's publicly available free of charge. Um, and, and we will continue to provide that for the foreseeable future. Wonderful. I think that is going to be a fabulous resource for everybody. Thank you so much for being here. I do have a few more questions and, and then we'll wrap up, but it's four questions that I ask all of my guests that come on to the show and I call it the one common question. Great. All right. Have at it. All right. What is the one thing you love the most about working in the nonprofit sector? Um, I would say my favorite part of nonprofit philanthropy work, it's the variety and the passion. So you've got, you know, so many different kinds of organizations, anything from like your church or house of worship down the street to like a really big nonprofit, like YWCA. Um, and it, it's just really cool to me that I work in this field where I can work with so many different kinds of causes and organizations. I mean, you say nonprofit, and that means so many different things to so many different people. And it's really cool to learn about all of these different causes and organizations. I mean, I've been with the Lilly School for eight years, and I'm always learning about new things that, that nonprofits are doing. Wow. So what's one thing that you love less about <laughs> the nonprofit industry? There's there's so much burnout in this mm-hmm. field. I hear a lot of people, a lot of leaders say, "Oh, you're you're doing this work for a good cause. It's it's not about the money." And I'm sorry, it is. It is about the money. Um, Everybody needs needs money, right? Exactly, exactly. I mean, sure, we aren't in this field to make a lot of money, but we all have bills to pay. And I think that kind of taking advantage of people's goodwill um, is something that I've seen. I've seen so many nonprofits really not pay the people that that work with them what they're worth uh, or, or shame them when they don't feel grateful enough for this wonderful opportunity to work for peanuts. And as a field, I just think that we have to do better. There's just so much burnout in the field um, and, and we need to, to support our own people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Great answer, by the way. What is one resource that you would like to share with the audience that you love? I, I guess I would be cheating to to plug the Women's Philanthropy Institute site. Yeah. Well, you can't use that one. No. So I will say that we have so much out there. Please, please go yes. see it. Um, but uh, I am going to sort of cheat by by um, citing something else at the Lilly School. Uh, doesn't count, though, since I don't work too much with the fundraising school. But TFRS has such great materials. Their courses um, do have a cost. If you're a small shop, you might need to look, for example, at some of the um, scholarships that they provide, et cetera, but they do provide them. And then I haven't honestly taken a TFRS course in a long time, but I'm always looking. They have like a weekly podcast. They have longer podcasts that have a very minimal fee. So there's more, when you think of the fundraising school, 
you might think of getting your CFRE and taking these like three or five day courses and paying money. And there's just so much, there's so much more to their resources um, that I think, you know, the podcast, especially it meets fundraisers where they are. It talks about, you know, recent ones have talked about COVID and holiday giving and giving Tuesday. So I, I just really love what TFRS is putting out, especially now that everything is virtual. The fundraising school is my absolute favorite resource. I have my CFRM from the school. I listen to the podcast. (laughs) I am a huge fan of uh, Bobby Donahue and her teaching style. Um, I can't say enough good things about the Lilly School and the, the fundraising school. The last question for my one common questions is, what do you see in the nonprofit industry or at the Lilly School that is impacting diver- diversity, equity, and inclusion? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have to say, I'm really proud uh, of the work that the Women's Philanthropy Institute and the Lilly School um, have done with regards to DEI. Um, I would say, between, you know, the Lilly School created the Mays Family Institute on diverse giving. And then WPI, even before this, has really emphasized having diversity as a part of all of our work, and it's an ongoing thing. So we we wrote a report um, about two years ago. It's called Women Give 2019 about diverse women's giving. But we know it's, it's not this one and done, like, oh, we checked that box, we're done now. Um, we know it's an ongoing thing. And, and so in each of our reports now, we always examine Um, diversity across a number of of demographics, but really trying to see how we can can inject that into every report. It it can't just be a one-off thing. Um, And and I think that overall in the school and then in the field at large, I've seen this genuine desire to engage um, on, on these questions to kind of call out assumptions or bad actors. And it's been really refreshing. I'd hate to seem like I've got rose-colored glasses. I know there are so many leaders and individuals and and organizations that could and need to do better, Um, but I I am really proud of of what WPI has done and brought to the field and and the way that the Lilly School is leading in this way. Yet again, the Lilly School has set a bar and is continuing to do the good work that needs to be done Jackie, if people would like to talk with you more, is there a way they could reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you've got my email. I'm happy to have you drop it in the show notes. Um, we also have a robust social media presence. Um, so WPI is on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. Um, and we are always happy to, to hear from you, to engage with you in that way. Um, and we have a lot of material that we put out um, on those platforms. Yes. So, so definitely happy to connect. Jackie, would you come back in 2021 and talk <laughs> more about uh, women and giving and how they might be shaping 2021? Absolutely. I, I think if you if your listeners look at our um, research library, you'll see that there's a lot on there. And, and I'm definitely to happy to, you know, if, if we have an entire, uh, I think, two or three day fundraising school course about engaging women as donors. So we could talk for hours. I'm, I'm happy to come back in 2021. And Super. Talk more. Great. Yeah, we've we've just scraped the surface and, and hopefully mm-hmm. given our listeners 
some motivation and some excitement around engaging female donors right now. It can be done. You can do it and giving to your cause before the end of the year. Thanks again, Jackie, for being here with us. We'll talk with you more in 2021. I'm Liz Hack, host, Small Shop Fundraising. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you soon.